two people, two women, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, both inactive in the Christian community. Not just inactive in the Christian community, but actually actively opposed to the Christian community. One of them, a member of the Jewish committee, community, born, raised, and trained a Jew. A highly respected professor, a highly respected person in the world of academia, has written and spoken against Jesus as the Messiah, well-respected in the Jewish community. The other, another professor, woman, who's been active in promoting and participating and organizing a sexual revolution that has changed the trajectory of our country. Two women, opposite places in the country, opposite belief systems, even though they're not within Christianity, even and of themselves, opposite belief systems. Now, those two women are writing books for the Christian community. Those two women are leading evangelism efforts into their former peer groups. Those two women now are active in a local church. And surprising of all, both of those women are now married to a pastor. How can this possibly be? Two women that have been actively opposed to Christianity, that in the 1990s did a lot of harm to Christianity, but now a new purpose in life. How is it that these two women have experienced such transformation? One may think, well, they came to see the logic. But what actually happened to both of these women was that a stranger invited another stranger into their home. You see, both of these women had an experience with hospitality. The woman who was on the East Coast, the professor who was leading a sexual revolution, was beginning to feel the heat in her own community. She had written editorials for the newspaper. She was now receiving hate mail from local pastors and a variety of people. Christians were writing other letters to the editor. She taught in a different city but lived in a small community. Now everybody in her community was aware of her lifestyle and what she was promoting. There was an intense pressure in her life. One day in the hallway of her apartment building, a woman said to her out of nowhere, hey, do you just want to come in for supper quick? Very randomly as they ran into each other in the hallway, the professor said, sure, went in and had some macaroni and cheese together. And she recalls, after macaroni and cheese, went into the living room and talked for a while. And then recalls, when I left that night, I had cat hair all over my pants. Macaroni and cheese dinners continued. Conversations on the couches continued for two years. At the first conversation, there was no talk about church or an invitation to worship service. There was no four spiritual laws. There was conversation. But two years later, there was a conversion, a baptism, and a membership at a local church. Two years of macaroni and cheese dinners and cat hair on the pants. When recalling this whole situation, the professor says, it does not matter that there's cat hair on the couch. It does not matter that all you can serve right now is macaroni and cheese or cereal. It absolutely does not matter. 
Why doesn't it matter? Because there was someone who was willing to invite her in. They were strangers to one another. Now, thousands of miles away on the West Coast, another woman had fallen on hard times. And in the Jewish community, business success is a big deal. If you're aware of the Jewish community in America at all, the Jewish community is very successful. Lots of money in the Jewish community in America. This person had fallen on hard times, made some bad business decisions, had gone to her local uh, temple, had asked for help. The response she got from that deacon board or local leadership, whatever they would call it, in the Jewish system was, sorry, you haven't paid your dues. You can't receive the counseling that you're requesting. Down the street, just down the street from this place, she walked into another church. This one pastored by a famous pastor in America named John MacArthur. John MacArthur will go down probably as the top two or three preachers of all time in the history of America. Has written hundreds of books, has influenced movements, has his own seminary. This man is as conservative as conservative can be. He's as old-fashioned as old-fashioned can be. Suit and jacket, tie, every day to work, Sunday in the pulpit. This woman walks into his church. Someone who has had harsh words, not just harsh, extremely harsh words for people who oppose him. The woman comes into his church, meets some people at a worship service. The people invite her over for lunch and a couple of meals. Seven months go on of this. Seven months later, she finally comes into Pastor MacArthur's office. Pastor MacArthur thinks he's got her right where he wants her. So he starts the conversation and he says, you must have really been enjoying all the worship services and and the preaching. She says back to him, I haven't even heard what you have said. I have been overwhelmed by the love of these people for each other. Today is the first time I will hear what you say. This is the greatest preach, one of the greatest preachers in America being told I haven't heard a word that you have said. But the love of your people have placed me in your office. Now, hear what she says next. It was so foreign to anything I'd ever experienced, the love. And it was that that drew me to my Messiah. Very key word there, my Messiah. She had come to the realization that Jesus is, was the Messiah. It wasn't the preaching of John MacArthur. It was the love of John MacArthur's people that opened the door for the revelation of truth. Two women, two women adamantly opposed to Christianity, now on two vastly different paths, changing people's lives. What happened? It was not logic It was not an academic argument. It was actually very simple. Someone invited a stranger into their home. Someone was practicing biblical hospitality. 
someone was actually being a disciple. You could say that the woman in an apartment building in the East Coast overcame her fear of rejection and overcame her fear of someone who's different than her. She did not let fear have the final say, but she opened her door to someone who was different. And it changed everything. The same thing happened at John MacArthur's church. They did not have let fear dominate the conversation, even though they have been preaching against different and about different. They weren't scared of different, but they opened the door to different. And what came of it is a conversion, is a new sister in Christ, and now many more because of it. These were just two people, two strangers, not just strangers, but strangers who had a mission Thankfully, they ran into some other strangers who were on a mission as well, on a mission that God had given them to be hospitable. We hear this command throughout the New Testament in our reading in Hebrews chapter 13. We hear it in a very simple sentence. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. In Romans chapter 12, we hear it very simply. Seek to show hospitality, consistently practicing hospitality. A very simple exhortation or a command, an expectation for all of God's people. Well, when I say to you today, be hospitable, what do you hear? What images come into your mind? Whenever we give a word to someone, if I say to you today, go clean your room, there's a certain image that comes into your mind, and you try to what? Match that image. And so what clean room to you is, might be vastly different than what clean room to your mother or your father is. But what comes into your mind dictates how you are going to clean the room. Same is true of hospitality. That which comes into our mind when we hear that we're supposed to be hospitable is going to dictate how we go about it. And so often for us, what comes into our mind when we say hospitality is nicely folded towels or fluffed pillows at a local hotel. Or when we say hospitality, we think of the fine china at home that comes out once, twice, or maybe three times a year. Because hospitality has become a professional industry. You can now get paid to be hospitable. But when we hear hospitality according to the Bible, we've got to retrain our thinking. So I want to take us back and try and hear this word, be hospitable, the way they would have heard it when they first read the Bible. When the readers would have picked up the letter of Hebrews and it says, be hospitable, they would have heard four things. Invite, wash their feet, share a meal, provide security. Four things that that was what hospitality was that they would have heard. You know, hospitality, we think of what? Welcoming. Kind of arms out like this. Well, welcome. When in reality, biblical hospitality is actually hand extended. Not just welcoming, but inviting. We look back to Genesis chapter 19. Maybe the most famous story of hospitality in the Bible. God sends two angels to be his messengers. They go to a famous city that we know, Sodom. They arrive, and it says in Genesis 19, they come to the town gate. You see, in, in ancient culture, you either had a town gate or a town well. And if you were a traveler, you either went to the gate 
or to the well. And as you were at the gate or the well, you waited for someone from town to come out and greet you and invite you into their home because there were no super eights. And so in Genesis 19, we see them. They come to the town gate, and that's where we see someone go out, greet them, and says, my lords. Again, a, a position of honor. Giving the guest a position of honor, saying, come, we'll wash your feet, provide a meal. You can stay in our place. That was ancient tradition. We see it in the book of Acts. Peter arrives in a town. He goes to the town well, waits for someone to come out and invite him in. Hospitality, included in the definition of hospitality, is invitation. So if we say we're good at hospitality of welcome, but we're not good at would you join me, we're actually not good at hospitality. We've only done 50% of the coin, if that. Biblical hospitality is seeking to have the stranger be one of us. Seeking to have the stranger be one of us. If you have your Bible, turn with me back to our reading from Leviticus chapter 19. I wanted us to see this because it shows the continuity of Scripture and it also gives us a glimpse into the heart of God. So many people, when they think of the Old Testament, think of God raining down fire or God setting up all of these rules for people to follow. But see, the, see this rule and it gives us a glimpse of God's heart. So Leviticus 19, 33 and 34, speaking to the nation of Israel, this people group, he says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. In other words, God's saying to his people, hey, when a non-citizen comes, treat them as a citizen. God wants the people that are coming into Israel to be treated as though they are part of Israel. This is not some God that says, hey, uh, let's make sure they got it all together first. No, this is a God that says, let's treat them as though they're part of our people group. Let's care for them. We get a glimpse into the heart of God here, that God wants strangers to become family members. When we hear the command, be hospitable, we should hear, seek to have the stranger be one of us. Because that's what invitation is, that's what a meal is, that's what security is. You're providing all of that for one who is a foreigner. As God's people, we should be seeking to have strangers become one of us, part of our immediate family, part of our spiritual family. This practice of hospitality has been around for centuries, thousands of years in the church, and it's been a big deal. Do you know why we have Sanford Hospital in Sioux Falls, South Dakota? It's not because of an individual. It's because of a church. Do you know why we have a Vera Hospital in Sioux Falls? Because of a church. Hospitals were started by the church. Hospitals were a recognition that we need to show hospitality to strangers in our town because when strangers are here, a doctor can't what? Make a home visit. Churches started hospitals. Because hospitals are a natural outworking of the mission of a church to show love and kindness to a stranger. Now what do we see happening? Hospitals throughout the whole country paying people 
to change their logo so it does not show an religious affiliation. But the very roots that started all of these hospitals comes from the heart of a God who wrote Leviticus chapter 19. The heart of a God who says, I want strangers to be cared for and loved. Now that hospitals have become professional, which I'm not saying I'm using this as an illustration, as an example, not a horrible thing that I'm railing against, but to illustrate for us how now hospitality becomes a professional industry, right? So now what do we do? We pay people to be at the hospital. Now hospitals have paid chaplains who no longer what? Work for churches who no longer what? The chaplains who now dance religiosity very carefully. So you now have a chaplain who's going in, not on a religious basis, but on a business necessity for a hospital. You see, if the hospital stays connected with the church, what happens? The chaplains come from the church. But we've made it a professional thing. The whole hospitality industry is now professional, and it leaks down in our thinking. I can have people over when? When I've got everything clean, ready, and perfect. Hospitality is not a professional industry, but rather it's a practice of every follower of Jesus Christ. Hospitality is not a gift for the select few. Hospitality is not a spiritual gift. This is not a gift that the Spirit comes upon like speaking of tongues and gives to a person. Hospitality is an exhortation, a command to every follower of Jesus Christ, just as sexual purity is. Do you see where we read this morning from, Hebrews chapter 13? Some of you probably heard the reading this morning and thought, oh boy, here we go again, sex and money. This is in the same passage as sex and money. But when's the last time you saw a church spend a million dollars on a theological study to understand hospitality better? But churches are spending a million dollars every year studying the issue of sexuality, studying the issue of financial stewardship. But guess what? Hospitality is in the exact same category. If we demand spiritual purity out of our children, we better be ready also to demand hospitality out of our children. Are your children talking to the stranger? Now again, I'm not, we all understand what I'm saying here. How about the stranger at school, the new kid? The kid that's always kind of left alone. Are we training our children to talk to that stranger? How about you and I in the workplace? Who's talking to the stranger? That's what God's exhorting us to do, to be hospitable. At the root of this command, to be hospitable, is what God has done unto us. God is not saying, hey, go do this work and you'll please me. No, God is saying, pass on to others what I have passed on to you. In other words, you and I are created not to be a dam. You know what a dam does? A dam gets a bunch of water and it keeps it right there. You and I are created to be conduits where what we receive, we pass on to others. Everything God gives you and I, guess what? We're just a pass-through to the next person. Every command of Scripture, be kind, extend forgiveness, is based on what? The kindness and the forgiveness God has extended to us. We pass on what we have received. Are you a conduit today of God's 
hospitality. Because that's what God has done for you and I. The Bible tells us that we were strangers or aliens because of our sin. Yet because of the work of Jesus Christ, what does Jesus do? Jesus does not stand at the gates of heaven and say, welcome. No, he lives out hospitality. He goes and he invites and he gives a meal, security. It's what God has done for us. Now we're asked to extend it to one another. Will we be a conduit or will we be a dam? One of the most dangerous things is natural dams. Natural dams are dangerous, and this is why you see people blowing them up, destroying them, because they happen in places where you don't want them, and it causes flooding in other places on the farm. The only place you time to build a dam is when you've got engineers that pick the perfect spot. Dams can be very dangerous, and the same is true in our lives today, that when we allow all of God's blessings to just sit right here, guess what happens? We become greedy, selfish, full of anxiety because it's all right here. But when we become pass-through, the focus isn't right here. The focus is always either here or here. It changes everything. Hospitality is an outworking of who God is and what God has done in our lives. So what should you and I do today? If we want to follow this exhortation of God's command to be hospitable, what should you and I do today? I want to share with you three things that you can do as an individual today right now. The first is this. Identify how and where you're going to meet strangers. If you don't have a plan for meeting strangers, guess what? You can't be hospitable. It's not hospitality unless it's a stranger. So how and where are you meeting strangers? This can be a challenge. For some, this isn't a challenge. You're out and about in the world all the time, meeting people, opportunities. For others of us, I mean, as a pastor, I've got it a little bit different. I live with Christians. I'm, my job, I get paid to be with Christians. So I have to do intentional things to put myself in a path where I can even meet a stranger. So, for example, something I do is I just, two mornings a week, I always eat down at Daylight Donuts for an hour. It's a benefit for me, and it's also a potential benefit for any strangers. But what do I do? I've got to put myself in a place where I've got a chance to meet someone, start conversation, and talk. Now, I've got flexibility in my schedule. That might not work for you. So you might have to look to something else. You might need a program that intentionally puts you in contact with a stranger because you're not going to do it. Well, guess what? I've got two programs for you. These aren't programs. They're opportunities. Become a mentor at a local elementary school. Go to Terry Redland. Guess what? You're going to have a stranger in front of you this next week right there. The goal is not to take that stranger to King of Glory. The goal is simply to get to know that stranger and care for them. If you don't want to find a kid who's a stranger, LSS has got a mentor program for refugees and immigrants. You don't need money. simply need to help them navigate what it means to come to a new country. Where and how are you meeting strangers? If you can't answer that question today, I'll be very blunt. You're disobeying God. Because God says be hospitable. And to be hospitable, you've got to interact with a stranger. How and where are you meeting strangers? The second thing that we need to do, I include myself in all of this, we need to begin to open our homes up randomly and more often. I would encourage you to do this this next week. Just 
Start the habit of it to get you thinking. Turn your porch light on. I am amazed. Just drive around. Nobody's got their porch light on anymore. Turn it on and send me the bill at the end of the year, and I'll pay for the porch light for four hours. Just turn it on as a reminder to you that this home is always open and welcome for others. That's not going to bring anyone in, but it's just turn it on this next week. Remind yourself. Make your house known in the neighborhood. If you're in an apartment building, put something different on your door every day that says, we like people. I don't know. Do something. (laughs) Get crazy. Put a free jar of candy out there. One kid might take it all, but do something. We need to open our homes. And Pastor John Piper, he's famous again. This man is known all throughout the whole world. John Piper is one of the most uh, intense preachers in the world, and, and he is not exactly what you would call from a distance hospitable. I mean, people don't exactly leave there going, I want to spend time with that guy. He talks about the fear of God. He lays into big topics such as predestination and, and heaven and hell. Yet John Piper talks about this simple thing that him and his wife began to do. He lives in downtown Minneapolis, very close to the church that he uh, ministers, that he did minister to. This man has written hundreds of books, um, millions of dollars. I mean, we, millions of dollars. You could have, he could charge $100,000 and he'd have speaking engagements for the whole year lined up. I say that to say, if he wanted to, he could have lived in the suburbs in a really nice home. You'd have never known his wealth by looking at him. He gave it all away. But the main point of what he and his wife did is this. After Sunday night services, they began the habit of not having a plan at all. All they knew that they would have when they left their home is paper plates and popcorn. And they'd go to their worship service that night, and then Pastor John would say, just keep his eyes open, and he'd just say, hey, you want to come over some popcorn? And he just started having people over. And then on his walk home, he walked to church. And you could just study this man's life is amazing. Walks home. What does he do as he's walking home? He invites people into his home as he's walking home. This is downtown Minneapolis. This is not southeastern Sioux Falls. He tells the story of what really kicked it off. He's got six that come, five that come from his church, and then him and his wife make seven. On his way home, he invites five others. Next thing you know, they've got 13 in their home. Six chairs around a table and in the living room. He's got two people sitting on the floor with a paper plate and popcorn. Two and a half hours later, all 13 go home. Here's 13 people. Five people from the most prestigious church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Five people from a church that has done mission work that most churches only dream of. And then interacting with five people from just anywhere in the streets of Minneapolis. Not talking about predestination, not talking about the sovereignty of God, just having popcorn on paper plates. We don't need to copy Pastor John. Not everybody is John Piper. But what we learn there is a position of the heart that says, my home is open. And guess what also? It doesn't matter what's going on in my home. Maybe what we need to do in our homes is actually not clean and then just push everything in a corner. Because then when people come, what happens? It just lowers the temperature in the room. You bring out the china, everybody's like, this is great stuff. Was this your great-grandmother's? 
It, just, it changes the whole atmosphere. When you are willing to lower the pressure a little bit, guess what happens for other people? They're willing to lower the pressure a little bit. We don't do guess who's coming to dinner because it's something, we're like, hey, we need something to do. We do guess who's coming to dinner because it flows directly from this idea of being hospitable. We're never going to be a church that on Sunday morning we've got thousands of people here. I, I hope that we get to 400, plant another church just like us. Get to 400, plant another one like us. Boom, 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 boom. We're never going to be a place where people come on the weekend and be like, oh, great preaching and great music, and then go home and be done. It's not going to happen. Because we believe as disciples it's more than Sunday morning, but it's Monday night, Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon. We're going to be people in each other's homes, bringing other people into our homes. We're going for a level of depth, not because we want to be deep, but because we want to be disciples. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. And relationship brings about hospitality. So this morning, we're giving away two crockpots. Not because some gimmick, let's get more people to church. I wish this morning that I could have given everybody a crockpot, but I would have probably gotten in serious trouble with the leadership team. Okay? This isn't a gimmick, this is a natural outflow of who we are. So right now, just look under your chair. Somewhere in here, there's two people with a pink slip under your chair. Pink slip, now you're fired. Pink slip says you're a winner. Somebody's got to have it. There should be somebody got a pink slip. I don't know. I was not in charge. If it's not under yours, look to the chair closest to you. All right, I'm beginning to get a little nervous here. Somebody did not do their job. Stand up and turn every chair, chair, chair around in this room. Who's got it? We've got an argument. Oh, we got one right over here. Congratulations. We got one crock pot. Well, the president got the other one. This was not... It wasn't supposed to happen this way. But leadership starts at the top. Don't forget your crock pot when you leave today. Semler's Cooks. Why? You don't have to have a crock pot. You could have microwave popcorn and paper plates, and it would work just as well. How and where are you meeting strangers? Are you swinging open the door to your house? And then thirdly, the most practical thing you can do today, pray for God to bring you in contact with a stranger. We say stuff like this all the time, right? All oh, course, pastor, pray. No, no, no. I mean, very practically, pray today. Tonight, very simple sentence. God, bring me in contact with a stranger tomorrow. Pray that prayer until it happens. And if the prayer doesn't get answered, guess what? Come to me and I'll answer the prayer on your behalf. Pray it. When, how are you meeting strangers? Open up your homes. Pray for an opportunity to meet strangers. That's what all of us can do on a very personal level today. Guess what? All of that may or may not have anything to do with King of Glory. King of Glory might get some members out of it someday down the road. It may not. That's an out, membership is an outflow of what we do as disciples. So what can we do as a church then to be a place of hospitality? There's three things we can do as a church. The first is this. You don't know somebody's name, ask them. 
And if you're embarrassed because you don't know their name, guess what? Asking their name will help create an atmosphere of relationship and friendship. Because if you don't know their name, let's face it, they're a stranger. Find out their name just to say, hey, sorry, I forgot your name. Because they're probably thinking the exact same thing. What a healthy environment we could create where that is just natural. Not that you have to know everybody's name. That's not the point. But if you've if you got an eye on someone that you don't know if anyone knows, and you don't know them, ask their name. Very simple. Second thing is this. Hospitality does not mean overwhelming guests. So if, if you're a visitor here this morning, thanks for listening to this pitch on how we want to welcome you. But um, this morning, listen, I'm very serious on this. We're going to talk about this tonight actually a little bit more. We don't need to overwhelm people. You don't need a social security number and a blood sample every time somebody comes in the door. You also, what? You don't need to know their whole spiritual journey. When somebody comes on Sunday morning, it's very simple. Hi, my name's Frank. Thank you for joining us today. If you need anything, have any questions, let me know. You don't need to ask, hey, what church are you coming from? Hey, why are you looking for church? Hey, we're glad we're here because we've got it right here. You don't need to dig all in. First thing, simply make yourself available. Keep it simple. Keep it short. And allow things to develop. So, find a name. Ask a name if you don't know it. Keep it, keep it simple. Again, some of you are like, oh boy, now I'm scared. What do I say? What don't I say? If you think you're saying too much, you're saying too much. Just keep it simple. Hey, how are you? Thirdly, to be a place of hospitality does not mean that everyone knows everyone. To be a church of hospitality means that everyone is known by someone. There's a big difference between being a church that everyone knows everyone and being a church where everyone is known by someone. It goes back to being a disciple. A disciple is depth of relationship rather than superficial acknowledgement of relationship. You can't have a relationship with 160 people at a healthy level. You can with 12 or 15 very easily. Do you know 12 or 15 in this congregation? We want to be a congregation where everyone is known by someone. And this morning, if you're like, man, I haven't been known by anyone, I'm going to ask actually what might seem like the opposite thing, and that's this. You take the first step. If you're this morning like, I don't know anyone, guess what will happen if you take the first step to get engaged, to get to know other people? All of a sudden, you'll become a person that people will know. I know what we, the way we think is this. I need to wait for someone to ask me. It needs to happen both ways, all the time. Today, we can become people of hospitality. We can become a place of hospitality. There's not many in this room that will probably go to the Middle East and plant a church in the middle of a Muslim community. There's probably not many here in this room that are going to go and help with a flood relief effort. There's probably not many, if any, in this room that are going to preach to thousands. There's probably not many, if any, that, that are going to write curriculum that's going to change the life of the next generation. You may look at those things and say, well, I'm not qualified. 
But guess what? There is a ministry that every single person in this room is qualified for, hospitality. You're not just qualified, you're called by the creator of this universe who's extended hospitality to you. Chuck Swindoll says it best. Hospitality opens the door to uncommon community. It's no accident that hospitality and hospital come from the same Latin word, for they both lead us to the same result, healing. When you open your door to someone, you are sending this message. You matter to me, and you matter to God. You may think you are saying, come over for a visit, but what your guest hears is this, I'm worth the effort. Isn't healing a marvelous thing? Have you ever experienced healing in your life? Even from just the smallest of injuries, the paper cut, isn't it awesome when you finally get to take that Band-Aid off and it's not there as a nuisance anymore? Healing is a marvelous thing. And wouldn't it be awesome if there was more healing today in our community, in our city? There can be more healing when we reach out one stranger at a time. Wouldn't it be marvelous if our church grew one stranger at a time? So today, will you reach out and bring about healing in our community one stranger at a time? Let us pray. Gracious God, Thank you for welcoming us into your family. Thank you for not waiting for us to clean ourselves up, but thank you for accepting us and receiving us and transforming us in your presence. God, I ask now that you'd create in my heart and in the hearts of each listener here today a passion for hospitality. I pray now that you would introduce each of us to a stranger this next week. God, we thank you for opening your home, heaven, to us. Now empower us to open our homes to one another and to a stranger. In Jesus' name, amen.